yo, yo, that's my cue. Welcome to the Clay Band Podcast. This is episode 17. Happy birthday to my mama, Connie Jones. Thanks for finding a way to listen. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, man, I, we should, we can jump right into Bob. He's been fresh in my mind again all day. Yeah, um, looking at the run sheet, um, I know you're not supposed to say that in the podcast. It's okay. It's supposed to sound more natural, but... Um, uh, you know, you mentioned his directorial debut, or I don't know if it's his debut, but mm-hmm. Dirty Work, a cult classic. And it really is a cult classic because if you've seen it, and if you're a Norm fan, yeah, um, and if you're an Artie Lang fan, which I wasn't yeah. until, huh? No, go ahead. Until I watched uh, Crashing. Uh, on HBO, and then I fell in love with Artie Lang. So I want to watch that one back. <clears throat> I, I, remember la- I remember thinking it was silly, but laughing at it. And there's yeah, silly but funny. Is Chris Farley in it too? Yeah, there are. There's several cameos. There's you know Chevy Chase. Uh, there's Farley does make an uncredited cameo. <laughs> um, it was it was actually his last movie. Wow. He was, it came out six months after he died. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting that, um, I, I mean, I definitely remember Norm being in it. I definitely didn't remember Artie Lang being in it. And I thought it was funny that, you know, when you kind of look at the, when you read about the movie, it talks about, uh, Artie, it, it's a cult classic because of Artie Lang or just that he's helped to kind of create that. Yeah. I don't, I mean, what, I don't remember Artie Lang from, uh, you said he was in Crashing. Well, he was in the show. He's a, he's a comedian, but well, I know uh, who he is. Yeah, I know he worked with. I know him from Howard Stern. That's his claim to fame. Uh, he did something before Stern, but everyone knew him. I mean, he became he became famous. A, disfigured his face with drugs. Yeah. Yeah. He's really ugly. Well, he became uglier. Yeah, he became I mean, very ugly. Yeah. But um, the ugly Artie is uh, the one who's in Crashing, and he's uh, okay. He's lo- very lovable. Well, I'll watch it. It gives me something to watch and something for us both to go back and watch. Uh, yeah. Dirty Work. I'm going to watch Dirty Work again. I'm going to carve out some time, just some, some me time. Maybe I'll watch it on the bus, but I, I kind of feel like watching that one at home on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Some popcorn. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did. I forgot that was that was Bob Saget, but um, I do remember now when once you brought it up. And um, I didn't I didn't know that. I, I thought it. I thought look, going back and just kind of looking through his career that it was interesting that he that before he was on Full House, he was actually on a news show. Yeah, I saw that. I thought that was interesting. And I mean, it, it, so he kind of played himself as Danny Tanner from Wake Up San Francisco. And before he was on Wake Up San Francisco, he was uh, a, uh, I think he was, what, a, a sports, uh, sports guy, sports news, sports news guy. Kind of like um, Luke Simons. So a question for you, was Bob Saget the biggest TV star of the early 90s? I'm not talking about, because think about this. So you have like, what's his competition? He's got, you know, of course, Ted Danson from Cheers. Okay, big. Jerry Seinfeld, he had the show, but it wasn't quite huge yet. 
you yeah. know, during the time of Full House slash America's Funniest Home Videos. Because you got to remember, I mean, those shows were on simultaneously. So, and that was back when America tuned into one show at the same time. So, right. there's, there's no DVR, there's no streaming. So, everyone uh, tuned into America's Home Videos, whatever day it was on. And, yeah. you know, Bob Saget, you know, he really was like, I mean, he was cheesy, of course, but, you know, he would do things like he, during the videos, he would do like the voiceover and, you know, do like silly voices, like something a dad would do. And, yeah. I always loved him on America's Funniest Home Videos almost more than Full House. Did he do those about the same time? Yeah, it was at the same time. It was like. Um, yeah, both and both were for about eight years. Yeah. And um Whenever Fuller House came out, did you ever watch Fuller House? We did a little bit. I, I think only the first season. Yeah, I didn't so know there were four. Yeah. Well, Ella's watched them all. Um, okay. She's gone back to, to watch. I think she's watched most of the Full House seasons now. And so obviously she's a big Bob fan. But um, watching the, the first season of Fuller House, I talked to my, my brother about it. I said, hey, um, you ever watch Fuller House? And he's like, no. And he's like, I, I can't believe they made the reboot of Fuller House. I'm like, whatever. But I was like, but, you know, it's actually, it's pretty funny. And you know who's who's really funny, who I'd kind of forgotten about? And immediately he said, well, Bob Saget. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. he really was. Because you think of him as like, you know, the cheesy dad, mm -hmm. um, single dad who gives the sentimental speeches. But Really, I mean, he was uh, he was a brilliant comic, and I mean, he had just this great screen presence and great comedic comedic timing, and um, he just, but he was just a natural for those those uh, cheesy dad roles. Yeah, so, he, uh, and he was exceptional in those roles. I thought so too. I mean, um, really and good. and also, as you said, extremely a brilliant comedian, um, and then on top of that, to be just adored by so many people um, yeah. and, and not really have any, any, not a lot of, not nobody saying bad stuff about him or nobody, um, you know, and, and also he had really poured himself into this new podcast, you know, I mean, he'd only been doing it for just a little over, I guess a little over a year, you know, and already had over a hundred episodes. Yeah. And I want to say, I mean, we've mentioned Bob and, prior podcast or you have yeah, as, yeah. As, as our podcast influences um so i mean that makes it uh staying a little extra more a little extra yeah just because you know it was like uh, this guy from our childhood who'd suddenly come back into our lives mm -hmm. of course by various mediums you know not yeah how we knew him but you know, he'd, he'd kind of reemerged on, you know, well, like my kids got to know him through Fuller House. And of course, uh, and you listen to his podcast. I need to start listening to it now. But, yeah, I mean, uh, Sophie walked behind me as I was reading uh, about him yesterday. and was like, or, you know, as it, uh, just right after it happened. And she's like, oh, no, you know, she knew exactly who he was. And oh, yeah, yeah. Ella was crushed. Yeah. Really sad. And, and just, you know, it just seemed to be, it's sad when you see somebody like that, that is, um, 
kind of in in uh, a resurgence and happy and seem to really fa- be in a good place. It is sad, but at the same time, you know, you read his uh, last tweet and he was enjoying life. He was. You're right. Life. You're right. He was. He was. He was maybe. And and at that age, you know, he was had kind of. He was kind of a, had achieved it all. And he died. That's just kind of how you want to go. I mean, like, is is that how you want to go? It hurts more for the people he leaves behind, but at the same time, you know, it it's probably even harder just to uh, to get old and sort of waste away. Yeah, and um, start to lose control of your mental faculties and you know. Yeah physically decay i don't know i i think for him it was a, a pretty good way to go and i i that's the one i, I guess that's the silver lining yeah for sure and there and that silver lining doesn't happen for a lot of people for for most people no and like i'd mentioned robin williams was the the other shocking death uh several years ago but i mean yeah. his his life ended tragically and I, I don't i wouldn't say bob's life ended tragically he died no yeah freaking ritz carlton after yeah, yeah. apparently in bed just sleeping yeah so um you know good good for bob um he'll be missed he will he will be missed and um but, you know, can you think of anyone else in the early 90s who was a big no, star? No, you know, the, uh, oddly, the only person who popped into my head, and I feel like it was more 80s, was Michael J. Fox. But he wasn't as, as popular. He just came to my mind. Yeah, was, he, he would have been, you know, he was family ties. That was earlier to mid 80s. Yeah, family ties kind of passed the baton to full house. Yeah, um, but I mean, I loved that show. Uh, when I was young, and so that's, oh, yeah. the, that's the only one that came to mind. Yeah, can't think of any of that. You know, there was growing pains. Uh, you know, you know we, weird old Brady Bunch was kind of before uh, Family Ties. <laughs> yeah. What What else? Uh, there was Kevin Arnold. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm obviously have a, a pretty big soft spot for uh, for Wonder Years, as I'm sure you do. I do, but no, uh, I. But Off still, even still, I mean, just, yeah, you're right. And, and to come back like that, to have such a run and then come back and have a pretty successful four more years and it be good, you know, and something people really like, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. So now it's not that you hadn't sold me on his podcast, but I hadn't had a chance to listen to it. But Yeah, you're going to enjoy it. Speaking of guys in their mid-60s, um, I believe this is our first podcast where we actually have a guest. Oh, we do. This is exciting. And um, he's, to me, like in my mind, he's a legendary lawyer. But even more than a lawyer, he's a, uh, a great historian, particularly if you're interested in Texas history. He's a great storyteller. And um, he's just a very interesting guy to talk to. It's, uh, it's never a dull moment.
right, we have a special segment for you featuring one of Texas's legendary lawyers, my dad, Fred Riley Jones. San Antonio, when you were the, you know, around the time you were born was less than 500,000, the population. Now, I was just curious, first of all, you know, growing up in San Antonio, what, what was that experience like for you? Uh, it was good. I, I grew up on the south side of San Antonio and uh, meaning the southeast side of San Antonio. So uh, I always, like when I was in uh, elementary school, I thought of ourselves as being about 100,000 in population. Not that yeah. I became interested in that until later, but um, I grew up in on the south side and uh, my dad was a, a real estate broker who had come back and gone into that business after the war and mm -hmm. so uh born in 1955 started started really kind of paying attention to things around 1961 62 and so growing up i mean the fact that popo went to a and m is that is that the reason you went to a and m is there did did you consider other places to go to college or did you kind of always that was where you wanted to go I, you know, I didn't have much uh, interaction with AM growing up, although we would go to an occasional football game. Yeah. And I knew my dad was a big Aggie and, and he had the, the boots, uh, uh, the picture of him and the boots and everything. The boots had, were long gone because he, he cut them off and used them to go dancing one night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh uh, we we moved from the south side over to the north side. I ended up graduating from MacArthur High School. And when I was in the eleventh grade, I met uh, I, I met a girl, and uh, we started dating. And then she the only little bit of a complicating factor was that she was a year older than I was at MacArthur, so she was graduating uh, in just a couple of months after I started dating her. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, my plans for college up until that point had been that I was going to go to like Southwest or someplace like that. I was told I was not college bound. So yeah. Yeah. I, I really thought about other things too. Mm -hmm. but, so you, so you didn't ever, when, uh, when the lady you're talking about my mother, when she went to UT, did you think about UT or you didn't, you, you that wasn't on your radar? The UT was not an option. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't know that much from my dad growing up because my, <laughs> <laughs> my sister, had, uh, Sally, had gone to UT. And, uh -huh. uh, uh, you know, my dad didn't have, Bob, dad, didn't have a big problem with that. But then Randy went to UT and he had a little bit of a problem with that, although he did buy him a house up there in Austin. And, mm -hmm. and oh, I wish we had that today right uh so but then ricky didn't ricky went to san antonio college and so uh anyway i was uh exploring options and and it was never really a mandate that i go to a m but it was a mandate that i not go to ut yeah and so after so when you were going to a m did you i mean you you didn't have the did you have the idea already then to go to law school well, so it, there's a step that that was that we missed there, and that was that when I started dating uh, the girl that is Connie, uh, and I knew that she was almost. going to, right? 
I knew she was going to UT. So I started thinking of different plans and what, what I would do if she decided to stay there. And so I started looking at St. Edwards and I actually got, uh, you know, put them on my list of getting the SAT scores and everything like that. I investigated mm -hmm. different, different uh, college plans that they had and that sort of thing. So it, that was kind of the plan. She was going to keep going to UT. I was going to go to St. Edwards. But then, um, then when I graduated from high school, I started immediately taking real estate courses. And I took a series of three 90-hour courses in Dallas where I was exposed to more uh, things like real estate law and the history of real estate law and the history of how deeds are exchanged and how property is exchanged and fights over property, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And so I started thinking that that I was interested in that because I'd always had an interest in history. And then the more that Connie and I, more that our friendship and, and romance uh, developed, we came to the realization that she, we ought to get married and she ought to move to San Antonio and we ought to go to San Antonio College for a while before we get married and then we'll go off somewhere and then we started talking about A&M. Okay. Long story. <clears throat> and then you ended up deciding A&M rather than staying at home. Yes. Yes. We wanted, to, we wanted to get off and have our own start somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And it's a good thing you did. By the time you graduated from A&M, and y'all moved to y'all moved back to San Antonio. Is that's when you had already decided to go to law school, or that you'd already applied and gotten accepted to St. Mary's? Correct. Did you apply I, to Did you apply to other law schools, or was that you knew that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, I I was not going to go to law school if I didn't go to law school in St. Mary's. Okay. Because I we we lived in in College Station. Actually, lived in Bryan long enough for us yeah we really wanted to come home we missed the water we missed the you know we missed the uh hard water we missed the friends yeah and we were ready to come back and, and we were going to i was going to go into real estate with my dad and my brothers until the crash about a year before i graduated from AM. and so i just started accelerating the pace and yeah. so that I could graduate with Connie and we could move back to San Antonio. And then I applied to law school and it happened that it worked out. And law school took you how long from the time that you started to finish? Three years. Three well, years. Started, yeah. Started in, uh, started a few days after getting back from college, graduating from A&M and then it lasted until the end of may 79 so three okay. years and when when you started it was it i mean was it harder than you thought it was going to be or was it was it what you thought it was going to be it was it was harder than i thought it was going to be yeah it's a lot of work yeah. i know just from growing up watching you do it but i know i you know that not not just what you did but i'm sure get you know preparing and getting to that point i was trying to think of an analogy and you know a&M was hard for me when I, when I started, but by the time I figured things out, mm -hmm. it, it got easier and my grades got better. And same thing happened with, with law school, but really what turned the corner for me in law school and where I really started understanding and, and getting it was when I got a job as a law clerk 
outside. Yeah, where you're actually seeing it happen and being being part of it. Exactly. So when you when you were uh, when you were teaching, that was after you had already graduated from law school. No, I started teaching real estate, and you were uh, teaching real estate. That was before law school or during. It was uh, first time I started teaching was during law school after my first year my after my first year correct taught my first class like in june of uh 77 when you brought up uh sir to gas earlier is that your that was your first big case you were through law school and already sort of you weren't you were still in law school yes and you were what were you doing at the time i was uh I was clerking for a law firm here in San Antonio named Brock Bingham in person. And I got that job. Uh, let's see. I know the first summer after my first summer after my first year of law school, I, I taught and I, I actually sold real estate for a, a summer and it, it didn't agree with me yeah. selling, selling real estate and being the guy making the call. I was licensed as a real estate broker, not only a salesman, but I got my broker's license by then, but I just didn't like it. It didn't yeah. suit me. So it was about, I believe it was the uh, spring of 78 that I would have started at the law firm. Okay. And what, when you say clerking, does that mean you're doing research or you're, what are you doing as your clerk when you're clerking? Or as a clerk, <laughs> back but well back then a law clerk was somebody who who was every everything runner. Yeah, uh, I I delivered checks. Uh, one great thing about that job at this particular firm was I I got to drive uh, Lloyd Bingham around to different places. Lloyd was a uh, a great lawyer and uh, had contracted polio as a young a child and had overcome all those obstacles and gone to law school and become a great trial lawyer and but he couldn't drive mm-hmm. so as a law clerk one of my jobs that i absolutely loved was driving him to austin for depositions or hearings or whatnot i, I would actually cut law school class to help him by doing that he was awesome wow so where did he go to law school st mary's he is he, we can we can have a whole nother topic about Lloyd Bingham uh, Jr. someday, but uh, he he is one of those people that would would be uh, one, two, or three on my list of people that that, that I learned I came to admire. Yeah, well, I lifetime. can say that I can say that I know that for sure because you you always you talked about him a lot growing up, and so I can say that that's true. He spent many a day in Gonzales, Texas, Warm Springs, having his muscles pulled in all different directions. And mm-hmm. I never knew that uh, until much later. Yeah. But he was a brilliant lawyer. He was a great man and ended up with a very unfortunate disease that horribly came back to see him again when he was in his... Uh, probably 60s yeah. post polio syndrome anyway well he i mean i know that 
you know, he's inspirational just to uh, do all the stuff that he did, accomplish what he did, living through all that. Because I, it's hard to imagine. One of the greatest stories of all time is Lloyd in constitutional law class. And, you know, in law school, it's a, it's the Socratic method where you're supposed to read the cases. And then the judge asks you to calls on you to tell, tell the class, tell the whole, stand up and tell the whole class, Mr. Jones about this case. Yeah. And then you tell them what the facts are. And then the professor proceeds to inquire of you, you know, what about this and what about that? And, uh, so he gets called on in constitutional law. The professor is Carlos Cadena. Carlos Cadena was at that time, I think the city attorney of San Antonio, a brilliant man himself, uh, Hispanic who, who overcame, uh, incredible odds. And so he's the, he's the professor at St. Mary's he's, he's teaching constitutional law and he calls on, on Lloyd Bingham to, to answer this question. And it's a very complicated question of constitutional law. And he calls on Lloyd and he says, Mr. Bingham, that, you know, stand up, you've been asked to read this case. And so Lloyd stands up, he does a beautiful job of it. Wonderful Mm -hmm. to the penny nails it. Judge says, well, wait, what about, you know, the, the professor says, what, what about this complicating factor and how did it play into this? And Mr. Bingham stood, stood there and said, well, your honor, the answer to that question is, and he gave a precise legal answer to a very complicated constitutional question. The professor's down there going, <laughs> uh, you know, and everybody in the class is like, how, how does I know this? And he said, Mr. Bingham, Mr. Bingham, has it that you gave such a perfectly good answer to my questions about that? He goes, you asked me the same question last semester when I flunked this course. <laughs> That's funny. Thinking back, what's your favorite case? You know, if you can, if you're able to pin down one that you've really enjoyed or one that's ongoing that you're enjoying or. Yeah, it's, it's hard to do. I, my favorite case was the uh, what I call the Riverwalk case, and it's a case where I represented the city of San Antonio. Got a call one afternoon from the city attorney. I didn't, I hadn't done any work for the city in many years. I had done work in the past for for the condemnation of a of what was called the Apple White Reservoir, but uh, hadn't done any work for them in years, and was on my own at that point. Uh, my wife, Connie, had just had a bad accident in 1997. I say just, it was, this was, uh, she was in recovery by about six months when I got the call. I, mm-hmm. I, was, I was just now starting to get back into the practice of law. My, my children were back to doing the things that they normally did. I wouldn't have to drive them around like I had been doing. And I was sitting at the office wondering what the heck I was going to do because I, I didn't, I'd farmed out most of my cases and, you know, yeah. I've been taking care of my family and, and this guy calls and says, Hey, you know, I'm Frank Garza, I'm the city attorney and wanted to see if you'd be interested in talking to me about a case. And, 
he told me, you know, what it was about and asked me if I could come over. And I said, well, I'm wearing blue jeans and it's Friday afternoon. He said, that I care. So I went over there and uh, they ended up hiring me. The city hired me on a case that involved the ownership of the, of the bed and banks of the San Antonio River down in the downtown area. And yeah, which is cool because it, I mean, just that alone kind of goes back to uh, what got you interested uh, in the first place into law. You know, what you're talking about, like being interested in historical deeds and historical records and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I remember when you first started taking that on and uh, how interested you were and how that was, you know, it's, it was sort of right in your wheelhouse. It's your hometown. You love history, Texas history. And uh, yeah, talk talk about it a little bit. Well, what it what uh, I found out when I got over there that the the operators of restaurants along the along the river had been renting the uh, patio space for a number of years, I think 12 years. And then they just suddenly stopped and they said, we, we don't think we have to pay the rent anymore. And they'd gotten into a, basically a political uh, fight with the city about how money was spent along the river wall. The Riverwalk, all, all the way back for for generations, has been a source of controversy between citizens and the, yeah. and the government of San Antonio. So they quit paying, and the city had let it go on for like years. And they they said we would like for you to look into this. So I did, and uh, found out that it, this has happened about every hundred years that somebody claims to own some lot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or it was great that that, uh i i think that that that's another like that could be a complete episode is just the history of the river and kind of its evolution in downtown and the uh the phases that it's gone through (laughs) i've got a book i was gonna i was gonna show you uh i mean i've got uh, a ton of books on it but what what we did was was pretty interesting we we uh started i mean one of the first things i do when i get into a case is try to figure out who has the most information about the situation you know and so yeah you know i I went to books like this you know a dream uh, come true dream come true robert hugman and the san antonio riverwalk well what i learned very quickly was it was not robert hugman that was the hero of the riverwalk although he was one of them it was actually a guy named George Serkey, S-U-R-K-E-Y, who was the true uh, magician of the, of the Riverwalk, the true genius. Serkey. I Cirque. thought you were going to say Gus Jones. Well, Gus had his own ideas and yeah. did a lot. But anyway, once we found the 1733 grant from the King of Spain... Okay. You, were, you were good to go <laughs> that is wild we never found it oh you didn't no but it's recorded in court uh histories court cases okay they think that they think that that was taken by santa Ana when he came through in 1842 i'll take this so how long so just jumping ahead you know <coughs> you you started a law firm with kyle and joe and um Wayne 
and Rand. And when did y'all, y'all started that in what year? 1991. 1991. So that's, so that made, I mean, y'all, uh, y'all are at 30 years right now. 31, right? Yeah. 31. May of, that, May of 91. It's incredible. I mean, that's a long, I don't know how, how that stands up you know, to a lot of the lawyers, you know, in San Antonio, but it seems like a pretty good long run with, a, you know, the same group of guys. It's very unusual. Uh, yeah. There, there are not many. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously I don't, I haven't gotten, as I, as I got older, um, I just more have, you know, heard, I get to catch up on Joe and Kyle and, you know, I, I got to work with Wayne quite a bit, but, you know, they're like long lost uncles to me in a way, you know, I grew up, you know, you, they were a big part of your life. You, you spend, you spend more time with the people you work with than any, than anybody at, in certain ages of your life. So, you know, I have a lot of uh, great memories of all of them. Kyle still, whenever we talk about you and, and Jenna to someone else, and of course he named his daughter Jenna, yeah, because I like the name so much, and he called me before they. they <laughs> Is this okay? Yeah, Is this okay? But he always talks about how he remembers y'all yeah. laying on the floor coloring and coloring books. You know, while I was there working, I have a a question posed to me the other day, and it was actually a question posed to Oliver William Holmes, and it was, "Who would you want to come back?" to back as if you could come back after you die and you'd come back as someone else, either present, past, future, who would that be? Mm -hmm. And my answer is... Ding, 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 ding. Connie Jones, second husband. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Sports opinions. Let's talk about sports, baby. Let's talk about recruiting. Let's talk about Buzz and team. Yeah, Buzz. You want to talk about recruiting? Sure. I don't know. I don't know that there's much more to say, only that I, I know that we've had two more flips or two more signings and that we officially have the greatest class of all time, whatever that means. Yeah, I mean, based on the opinions of some uh, recruiting nerds. Yeah, means um, that we uh, it means that we like you said that we have the greatest eight and four team of all time. I think we did, and you know we're in everybody's. I'm seeing all these uh, way too early top twenty fives, and we're in the top five of like all of them. And part of it's probably has something to do with the momentum from the recruiting class. The other thing is, you know, we're going to have, we're losing some guys in defense, but it's not like where they're going to be so depleted that uh, we're not going to have a stout defense again. Um, we're losing our defensive coordinator, but, you know, we, we replaced him with a, a jerk who's had a lot of success at a lot of different places. So you're talking, about, Cotter, Dirk, you're talking about Dirk the jerk. I'm talking about DJ Jerkin. He's Durkin the Jerkin, but okay, I call so him he's Dirk the Jerk. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you're jerking me around over here, but you're doing. That's what I'm doing. 
Um, but the key thing is, regardless of our recruiting class and regardless of uh, whoever's returning, we're going to have three quarterbacks better than Calzada. And when you think about um, how many of our losses were directly due to Calzada's ineptitude, mm-hmm. um, you could point to, um, well, Arkansas, where he was just overthrowing guys the whole game. Um, did the same thing against Colorado, where a disastrous loss and then Mississippi state where he took a safety and um, was the offense was stalling uh, Ole Miss where he could keep the team, the offense in the field in the first half. And then uh, LSU. Uh, I don't remember him doing anything terrible, but the quarterback who beat us is going to be on our team next year. Yeah, so, beat us easily at the end. Yeah, so um, I feel pretty good about our season. I mean, I feel great, obviously, about the recruiting class. And so uh, I think there's reason to be excited. And we finally may be turning that corner. But it's, of course, way too early to celebrate because we went eight and four. Yeah, and also, I mean, all that aside, we still don't have a quarterback returning. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that we we sort of do, but I mean, in reality, there's still there's still uncertainty. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think there's one of those guys is going to work. Yeah, I, I believe um, that. Speaking of uh, college football, um, did you tune into the national championship? I did, and I told you that I wasn't, but I couldn't help myself. It was a good game. It was entertaining. Um, have to say uh, we beat a better Alabama team that had Mechie and uh, Jameson Williams, but you know, uh, Georgia was the better team yeah. on that night. They had a great Georgia. Defense. Georgia did what we did, and nobody else could, which was hold them to field goals. Yeah, great key. red zone defense, um, and you know that that pick six in the end was a great exclamation point. Um, yeah. So I was happy for Georgia and uh, gave me hope for us because it had been 41 years since they'd won a championship. And when they won their last championship, it had been 41 years since we had won a championship. Okay. So, okay. What do you Meaningful. Call it? That's, that's fate. That is fate. And, and as you may or may not know, my fourth great grandfather, Emmett, actually went to Franklin College, which became University of Georgia. So I'm celebrating Georgia and A&M's national championship. So this was a sweet one. I'll celebrate Franklin with you. Thank you. How about them Cowboys? Yeah, how about them Cowboys? Do you want to have our first NFL talk? (laughs) Let's do it. Um, I have some thoughts on the Cowboys, but I'm going to let you go first. Okay, well, I'll say that I love the old school matchup. I do think it's a, a pretty winnable game for the Cowboys. I, I think it's obviously the, the best scenario for them. Um, I didn't like the idea of playing the Cardinals again. Uh, just, you know, I think if the Cowboys win this one, they can get on a little bit of a roll. I love Dak. Dak has looked off the last, like, three games just kind of passing-wise. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't foresee them losing this game. I'm excited about it. I think they'll win by a touchdown or more. I, I don't – I feel good about the, the matchup. Um, I would have felt better 
had they not lost the Cardinals. I mean, they were rolling. Um, they had a lot of momentum, and then all of a sudden, that seemed to just kind of uh, curb that momentum. And then they beat a shorthanded Philly team. Yeah, which um, was a great way to end the season. I mean, a huge win like that. It was. I mean, they beat them impressively. Uh, but, uh, you know, it just goes back to week one, you know. They had yeah. they had the Bucks beat, and um, they let Brady drive down for the game-winning field goal on, on the last play of the game. And I just knew – I knew that was going to mean something. Way back then, I was like, that's going to come back to bite them, and it did. And, you know, I, I – I don't see them going to Tampa and winning in the second round. I, I think their best hope is for Tampa to lose uh, whoever they play. I can't they they play Philly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel great about that either. Well, let's take this to the science and news. Is it time to trust, trust the science? Hey, let's talk about science. We all love science and news, oh news. Think, follow, follow the science. Follow the science. Um, yeah, you know, when you sent me that about uh, talking about Fauci, I had already been kind of watching, I'd already watched the exchange, uh, the, first, the two exchanges he's, he's getting all the airplay today or the last couple of days is for his exchange with Rand Paul talking about Dr. Fauci and then his exchange. I, I don't know the other guy's name off the top of my head. That he called um, him, that he called a moron on a hot mic. Oh yeah. Um, I, I, Which is more just funny to me. I mean, everybody does that. I don't really care about that. I thought that was yeah. kind of funny. Um, you know, what, him, and, him and Rand Paul arguing is kind of funny. What I find funniest about it is, so what I like to do is I've given up on trying to find a uh, news source that I like. Right. So I'll switch between the local conservative radio and, and uh, NPR just to listen to how they cover different stories. And, and you get like opposite coverage because you have, um, they're playing the same clips and the conservative radio talks about how Rand Paul is owning Fauci. Yeah. And um, and then uh, the NPR, they're not quite as uh, hot-headed as the conservative talking heads, but you know they're, they're basically talking about how you know Fauci put Rand Paul in his place, and um, it's just it's just interesting because I don't really have as strong feelings for. For either of them, I, I think these senators who grandstand and you know, hey, man, talk about a grandstander. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, him, he won't get off of this whole uh theory. I'm not going to call it a conspiracy theory because I, I think that's jumping to conclusions, but you know, saying that trying to connect Fauci to the origin of coronavirus and obsessing, yeah, or saying that, that he knew about it and withheld information and then lied yeah, about it. Just obsessing over that um, has gotten a little tiresome. And then at the same time, I'm kind of tired of this 81-year-old doctor slash politician. Politician's a keyword. 
Yeah, I mean, he's been in in politics for 40 years. I mean, he's made a career about being a uh, the the doctor in chief. It was a juvenile uh, exchange. It was counterproductive yelling match. And so it's like whoever side you're on, of course, you're going to say like, oh, well, I mean, they owned him. And I mean, it's totally it's not like they took their gloves off and threw down. So, I mean, no one's going to win a shouting match. Yeah, it's not like Fauci um, stabbed him. That's <laughs> somebody else stabbed him. Yeah, somebody else did stab him. His own neighbor. You got to be a pretty yeah. annoying guy if your neighbor stabs you. And they're not just living in some some random neighborhood. But apparently, someone was on their way to kill Doctor Fauci, and he had an AR-15. And so, really, Doctor Fauci's a hero for you know, yeah, for stopping a terrorist plot putting his life on the line for the good of the country so i love that yeah they pulled the guy over and said he's heading to my house usually if they're that crazy they tell you where they're going they're not actually going to do it yeah they're probably probably not going to be able to navigate their way to the house <laughs> uh yeah alexa take me to dr fauci's <laughs> no, alexa cancel what do you know about do you remember us talking about the james webb telescope I do. Well, right. if you'll recall, it launched. It launched right around Christmas. It might have actually launched on Christmas. Is that um, the one that was going to go as far as halfway to the moon or something? Do, 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 do. Oh, it's going millions of miles. They have finally uh, fully deployed the 21-foot mirror that we were talking about. Okay. The gold-footed, the gold-plated mirror. And I think that uh, basically now over the next four months, they're going to be bringing all these cameras into focus on this 21 foot uh, mirror so they can begin uh, the process of why they sent the telescope out there, uh, which is to see the light from some of the first galaxies that were formed. See, I want to start paying more attention to this stuff because... I'm at the point where uh, I'm ready to go to, to live on Mars. I thought the same thing about a week ago. You know what? I'm ready to do this. I'm ready. Let's, let's do it. Let's do something meaningful. I know. I mean, this place has nothing to offer anymore. And it's not I'm not all interested in living anywhere on this planet anymore. Um, I think there's more to see. And if I can see Mars. So be it. I don't care if it takes, uh, how long does it take to get there? I think it would take us about a year and a half. I did want to remind you that this, oh, that this satellite, this, this camera, it's, gonna de it's designed to appear back over 13.5 billion years to capture infrared light from celestial objects. Wow, it's, it's almost like meeting God. The trip to Mars will take about seven months and about 300 million miles. That's really fast. That's not too bad. I could do that. That's, that's a hell of a long time to be on a... I know. Well, this, so this, this satellite, uh, they expect to have enough fuel to go for about 20 years before it cuts out. What would the, the seating arrangement be? Would you, have, would you be able to move about in the cabin um, when they turn the fastened seatbelt light off or float around? Or you know, would it be 
Would you just be confined to a a seat with a with a pee bag for seven months? Would the captain be on the star deck? Yeah, science fiction. Hmm. Science stuff. <laughs> Biology mostly. I would choose podcasting over sleep any day of the week, every week. Me too. All right, brother. Well, thanks. Send my love. Love always. And forever. Always and forever. Ooh, I know. It's never easy when the episode ends. But we appreciate you joining us for another episode of the Clay Band Podcast. Appreciate you finding a way to listen. Hope you have a good week.